Um, open your Bible today, if you would, with me to Proverbs 14. Uh, I'm going to read one verse there, and one verse in Proverbs chapter 1, just uh, as we get going. I, uh, I love kids. I got grandkids. They're such a joy. And, uh, you know, you, you don't see them for three or four days. It seems like you miss them. I was talking to someone the other day. They're, they don't live in the same city. They say, we're FaceTime three or four times a day. I said, I'd love to see my grandkids three or four times a day, even on FaceTime. Any of them, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's family. But kids are, are a hoot, especially when they're little. And it cracks me up when you're talking to a four-year-old or something or a three-year-old, and uh, they're telling you something. They just did something stupid, and they start telling you, well, one time uh, this happened, and I saw it one time. And, and so they, now they've based their corny little corniness, you know, and the stupid things they're doing. One time this happened. I saw this. You know, I, I know about stuff. When, or, or someone that's sick saying, well, when I was little, I saw, you know, it's, it's amazing. It, 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 uh, it starts there. Uh, but, but often children, in their cute little way, they're making an excuse for their bad behavior. Well, one time this kid did it. One time I saw that. One time. And, uh, or for their own bad behavior or doing something funky or an opinion they form. And the, tr- the problem is adults have, uh, you know, Follow the same suit oftentimes. Teenagers, adults, you know, bad decisions are made. Things are wrong in their lives and behavioral patterns are formed and mindsets simply because they think once they saw something, they know something, this is, you know, it impacted them. And so now all of life is reflected off of this that happened one time. Be really careful with that in life. Now, if you're talking about, man, once I gave my heart to Christ one time and he radically changed, that's wonderful. Yes, that's good. But I'm talking about people see things and then they dumb down their life to something according to what they've seen someone else do and get away with. Or, you know, and, uh, or, you know one time I heard this happen and I, if that happened, why can't I live this way and be saved if someone did this and they were... Once say, or they heard some gossip like one time it made them think of something they heard one time and it was said and I formed this opinion and I reference all things off of that. You need to be very, very careful about living your life like that. Uh, people make the most foolish decisions in life and that's the excuse. Well, I know about someone else. They did this. Or they did that. Why, you know, why is it going to be harder on me? Don't form your opinions there. Listen to what the Bible says. I'm going to read the New International Version of Proverbs 14, verse 15. Scripture says, the simple believe anything. You know, one time I heard it, it's got to be something I believe. But the prudent give thought to their steps or their decisions, how they walk, what they do, how they process things. And so the simple here doesn't mean somebody like, a, hey, yeah, let's do that. That's simple. I can help you with it. Simple, easy. It, that's not what this word simple means here. It doesn't mean that was easy, you know, but it means it has to, de- it deals with a bit of behavior that is established and a mindset that begins to be established in life. And people just take things at face value or form an opinion by something they don't really have all the facts on. And uh, once establishing uh, a be- in becoming a behavioral pattern, it leads to more foolish behavior. As in, and making light of things that are important or forming opinions that are just all the stuff that suits the mind of a mocker. And it, it surprises me when I hear of people that are Christian people who have opinions based on someone and something they know, someone was, and that person's just a mocker. 
know, don't let them influence you. Now, I want to talk to you about this as we go on this morning. And this text, it's not like once you see something, that's the end of it. Listen, you need to learn how to process life. We're going to talk about learning to make proper decisions. And always in Bible commentaries, if you, if you were to do a little word study on our text, Proverbs 14, 15, uh, probably most Bible commentaries, if not every one of them, will direct you over to Proverbs 1, verse 22, because there's a companion scripture there. And it says, how long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? They hate it. They, don't, they won't come out and tell you, you know, I hate hearing things that are right. That's not what they do. But they hate knowledge because knowledge has to be learned. It has to be applied for and unto and studied and it's just it's come easy. The simple, just say, you know, that's how I feel. I heard this somewhere. I saw that. I, that and they, they just go on. And the Bible says the simple, they do this. They believe anything. And then their steps are confused in life. But the, but the wise, they give some thought to everything and their steps are established. They know how to walk. And so this literally points us to that verse in, in Proverbs 1.22. And it's talking about someone who gets this way. They don't pay any price for knowledge or wisdom. And they won't be careful how they walk. They'll find themselves misstepping in their Christian walk. Find themselves out of the will of God. Find themselves in trouble. And eventually, what the scripture says, if they do this and they stay that way, they'll even delight themselves in mockery. People that are men or women of God or preachers or even leaders and folks in the kingdom, you know, they'll, they'll mock them. Like, yeah, yeah, that brother knows everything. He's a, you know, well, maybe he knows some things. Maybe she knows some things that are good and she's trying, you know. But I've seen this, this plays out usually in folks that are thinking they know something you don't know about someone because they heard something. They saw something. This is what this is literally talking about. And now all of life is just because some opinion has been formulated and it's a lousy excuse to go on through life just stepping in it everywhere, making bad decisions. The Bible says knowledge is something that, you, you know, it, it, it takes some work to get it. It's like reading. I love to get good stuff out of books, stuff that helps my mind, my soul, you know, but you know what? It's a lot of work to read books. My wife, well, we hadn't done it in a while, but we used to go to bookstores together and stuff, you know. That was our date sometimes, you know, meal, you know, uh, time out somewhere. We'd go cruise through books a million, and she'd come up to me, and I'd be in the back and read, you know, last, don't read the end of the book. I always look at the end of the book, you know. She says, you do it all the time. I said, I know. I will always. I keep, you know. And if it's something I see, and then I'll flip through. Just certain key chapters will catch my attention. And uh, I want to know right away, do I want to invest? I hate reading a book and slugging through six or eight hours and then finding out I don't even like this book. <laughs> or it's worthless. You know, and there are books like that. So knowledge is a little bit of work to get something you really need in life. But if this isn't fixed in a person's life, they will come to the place where they'll delight in mockery rather than pay any price for truth.
Let that sink in this morning. It's a warning to all of life. God put in the Bible for all of us. Be very cautious about this. They'll even come to a place where they hate knowledge because knowledge will reflect back on them, you know, man, I'm not doing this right. I've got to make an excuse. I gotta, well, I'll tell you my excuse. I heard someone else did this and worse, and so, you know, I can, oh, my. Be very cautious. Why would someone hate knowledge? Because of that reason. Because, you know, the facts don't fit their agenda. Even within the church world, people become opinionated just because they never got the facts or they refuse to reach out to get them and they just have little bits of experience. And they, they, all opinions are formed off that. It doesn't sit well with them. It's, it, it's really interesting. Today, uh, I was talking to my mom. She's 89. She's, she doesn't get around much. She moved back to Pace in Arizona. Not today I was talking to her, just talking to her yesterday, but uh, she mentioned she has to go to her little storage room sometimes and just get out a box or something she needs, you know, and put it back in the apartment she got. And she says she always has to ring the bell of the old fella that runs the place. He's a transplant from California into the mountains of Arizona. And she says, you can't go in there without him, you know, screaming, hollering, getting upset, blood pressure rising, and talking about how much he hates Trump. I said, Trump's not even anywhere to be found. I said, he's got the name wrong. It's the other guy that's in there right now. <laughs> and, so, and she says, no, the guy just, he's under his skin. He just he hates him, hates him. You know what's interesting is some people, they've only turned on CNN in their life. They got one opinion. That opinion is they hate all things America. Sorry, it's true. How many of you know last week, I believe it was last Monday, the coroner's office in Washington, D.C., Established the cause of death in Officer Sicknick's death during the Trump-imposed riots, where six people died. How have you heard that story, the narrative? Six people died. Trump, well, you know why it took him so long and why you didn't even hear the coroner's report come out? Because coroner's report, this guy had a stroke. It's common to people. It wasn't nothing to do work-related. Well, five others died. None of them had anything to do with the with. And, and it wasn't a riot. That's why you've never seen footage of a riot. But the media has an agenda. They spin something. They present it. And there are people look at that, see it once. I know what happened there. No, you don't. And it's amazing to me because New York Times, CNN, still probably running the articles, you know, that the guy was beat over a head with a fire extinguisher by these angry people that went there and, uh, you know, killed and no, the man had a stroke the next day. It's common to me. He had a condition. The only one that was killed there was the lady, the poor unarmed lady that an officer shot. And that happens in life. It was crazy when it got tight up there and the lawmakers were in their office screaming, shoot them. <laughs> uh, anyway, so what I'm saying is some people have formulated opinions on Facts they read somewhere once or heard that aren't even true. And now you can give them an article, show them a coroner's report. It don't matter. I know what happened. You don't know. People are twisted in this world. And people slip in and out of churches all the time. Out of churches by way of decisions that have nothing to do with facts. That's a heartbreak. People will do this in life. They, they'll be... Saved, maybe living for God forever, all of a sudden gone, gone with the wind. What happened? They've made decisions, and you question, try to help them, and figure out what can I do to help, and you find out they have made a decision based on something 
that someone knew about or they knew about that somewhere happened once. <laughs> and it boggles my mind. See, you walked up from God. I meet people that I witness all the time, no longer living for God, had an experience with God somewhere. Well, why aren't you living for God? They can tell you the thing that happened somewhere. Sometimes it's just something that happened to someone that they heard that they think. And I say, you have train wrecked your life because of that one thing. Careful we don't make foolish decisions and train wreck our lives based on something we think we heard or know. It's interesting. Sometimes people will do this, and you know, they're talking to someone who's never won a soul to Christ, who spends no time in church prayer for the church, who's never given an offering, and yet they're influenced by that person. I think you're all quiet because you're listening this morning. Hallelujah. The Bible brings us warnings on behavior and, and what's good and bad about it. I've heard people who have been influenced by someone that's never once reached out to help a fallen brother or sister, but they've made a decision, a judgment on someone else, and somebody else hears that, and that's what they, they're gone. Bad moves made without even realizing the detriment that's going to be to their own faith. I was remembering a story when I was putting this sermon together. I heard this when I first was saved. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the mountains. I mean, horses were a common sight. People rode horses. That were, most folks you knew had, many of them had horses, horses and critters. And so it was more common. But, you know, this story goes back, way back into the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s. But it's a guy and a gal. They get married. And they're living on the prairie, and they're going to get on the, the, in the wagon. You know, he's got a, two horses hooked up to the front. He's dragging one behind, and they're going on their honeymoon. And she's all starry-eyed, got her gown on. They're up in the buckboard riding, and he cracks the whip. And one of these horses just got a little attitude. He has to, you know, get it going, gets it going. And they're going along, and all of a sudden, you know, this horse, uh, you know, stumbles a bit gets unresponsive. There's all kinds of gnats, you know, flying around its eyes. The guy gets out and just wallops that thing and tells him, listen, you're getting the warning. This is once. One time. Gets back in. They're driving down the road. A mile or two later, he gets off. The horse is doing something. He gets off, walks up to it, just shoots it. Drops it. Put, you know, gets it by the ditch, you know, so it's just out of the road hooks the other horse up, gets back in. The wife is freaking out, weeping, trembling. He says, honey, why, how could you? He goes, uh-uh, it's a done. It's done. I did it. He had one time. She goes, but, but, but. And he goes, so, son, that's twice. <laughs> can train wreck all of this future because... Once is all he can deal with. I want to tell you, in life, you let things get under your skin once, and you're, you're in trouble. You formulate opinions by things that, whew, I'll tell you. I was uh, thinking about uh, praying and asking God, you know, let's get some help this morning learning how to process and make decisions. You know, how, do, how do people come up with such poor decisions at times in life? Absolutely the wrong, most wrong thing they could do. Well, I'm glad you asked because uh, I read an article last week and, and, and several years ago, this article goes back. This corporation, they are a 
leadership development business and major outfit, and they do research and study. And they got together, and they researched a bunch of organizations, and they found that many of these big corporations would like for them to help their people because they said, you know, we've got good people, lots of different levels, and sometimes some of the worst decisions are made. How do you sort that out? How do you find a way to just keep, keep people making right decisions and not foolish things? And well, they developed some software that it was sort of an encouragement software, and they got it to all of these folks. It was a little questionnaire, and they got it in their emails at all levels of these major corporations, big ones, lots of them. And so in the questionnaire, it was a self-help program, and it, it, people would put in there their development goals, and the software was designed that at periods of you know, two-week intervals, or so, it would send them reminders and little questionnaires about how you're doing on your goals. And you know what they find out, found out? They said people hated that. <laughs> they didn't mind telling you one time, talking about a goal and where they want to go and what, how they could do better and what was going to motivate them. But when they got the, the stuff, these emails reminding them, they found it more annoying. And the users came up with a name for their software. They called it Nagware. You know, man, they want me to make good on my, my statement about how I could do better. That's what it was all about. And people didn't like having to be responsible for it again and again and actually make some changes. And so this company was hired. I mean, it's huge. They, want, they, they fit, let's see, uh, 50,000 leaders in all of these various corporations around the world. You could do that through technology. And they were working with them. And that's a lot of folks to get feedback from. And they're trying to understand the root of poor decision-making. They got all this feedback and, uh, and, uh, of these folks, and they did an analysis, and nine factors showed up. And I'm going to talk to you about a few of these because they're very spiritual. And one of the first problems people had is why they don't you know, sort through things, get the facts, power on, do right. Well, number one out of 50,000 uh, questionnaires, you know, to leaders in these, number one was laziness. People don't want to deal with it. Don't want to, it's a hassle. That's why fools don't get knowledge. It's a hassle. I was a good fool before I got saved. I didn't learn anything. I got saved and God began to school me. Hallelujah. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the scripture saying there, you know, what it's really saying is don't be lazy. Don't, don't be a sluggard in this. You know, walk how, like you're paying attention. Uh, learn what you need to be learning. The time is precious and uh, understand what the Lord, will of the Lord is. And this goes right hand in hand with the issue of laziness. People don't want to walk that way. Carefully. Paying attention. Observing. Learning. Making right decisions. They found out basically these kind of folks were sloppy in their work and unwilling to put themselves out. You know, as a Christian, you're going to be called on by God to put yourself out for people, not to dumb yourself down because, you know, they do. Well, I've got the right friends. They're about as spiritual as I am. How spiritual is that? About like a rock. You know, well, that's not good. Well, I'm more comfortable with them. Well, make them more comfortable with you and lift them up. Well, that's a lot of work. 
But some folks are just too lazy to get facts, too lazy to research, read their Bibles, pray. Scripture says make the most of things. Walk carefully because you can't be lazy to make the walk. In Proverbs 6, 11 says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and your need like an armed man, a worthless person, a wicked man. When he walks with a perverse mouth, he winks with his eyes, shuffles his feet, points with his finger, but perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually, he sows discord, therefore his calamity shall come suddenly, that suddenly he'll be broken without remedy. You know, many of the Proverbs are simply one verse. You know, the next verse has got another thought. But that goes together, those several verses there, what is it, six verses or so. And the Bible's talking about this lazy spirit. It's not just good enough to be lazy. It has to justify itself. It shows a little discord. It points the finger. Others. That's why I do this. this is what, he's no better. She's no better. And this is what it'll develop into a little downtime. Just turn on the phone, the tablet, the internet, YouTube. Just veg and chill. Be lazy. Don't look at what you're supposed to be. Don't read what you're supposed to read. Seen a funny video clip about someone in a therapist's office and, uh, and the girl saying, you know, gosh, I keep trying to come up with this resume, you know, and every time I get busy on it, you know, I just go on Instagram, you know. And, and he goes, you're right. These employers demanding resumes are off, off their rockers. I can't get a job, man. Life's too hard. There's a commercial. I don't know, is it Geico or one of those insurance outfits? You heard that commercial? You know, they say, make it easy. You just go on the Internet. But then you got some knucklehead on the Internet trying to figure out what kind of bread he is because he found some other site that just wastes time. He's not getting the insurance. He's just doing stupid things. It's easy to do stupid things. Let the Internet entertain you. You know Go back to your Webster's Dictionary from 50 years ago. You know what entertainment is? It's the art of almost completely doing nothing at all. Someone else is doing it for you. You just sit there. You know. Oh, you might have to click. <laughs> but, okay, this is not in my notes at all. I don't know. Somebody got a bonus here. Hallelujah. Some time needs to be invested for you to gain knowledge. Good book, your Bible. Fellowship with good, faithful saints, an older brother, sister. Concern for other people, man. God will put good things in you. But it takes a little work and you can't be lazy. And then there's another thing. Number two was people didn't expect unexpected events. They just, you know, hey, man, life is good. I'm doing my job. But you know what? Sometimes at work, we call it work because it becomes work. Not because it's chill time. Not because it always goes smooth. And what happened to many of these folks, bad decisions because they're lazy. Bad decisions because it's just work, man. And look what happened. You know, it's a problem you have to solve, not walk away from or make a bad decision. It was going bad, so I walked out of the room. No, you didn't get it done. Bad decision. They didn't anticipate anything bad happening. How many of you know if you're going to live for God, you have to know Stuff happens in this life, even after you're saved. You have to deal with it. You have to learn how to do it. You can't just say, chalk it up to, well, that's not where I got saved for, and you're back in the world. First Peter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, 
don't even think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as if some strange thing happened. Like, what the heck is this, man? I'm really having a trial, living for God. I've got to make decisions. I've got to answer for something foolish I did. Or I got, this is a trial. It's, it, has it ever happened to anyone, Lord? God says, it's not strange. It happens to everybody. It's called life. It's trials. It's tests. It's even difficult. And it's not like something strange happened to you. You know, so get some understanding there. And I love the verbiage there Peter uses. Don't think it's, he's not saying, don't think it's strange. You know, you got saved and now, man, you got a, you got a hard decision to make. It's a tough time. He says, a fiery trial. What's that? That's a hot one. That might be something you weren't expecting. Well, that's what happens in life. Stuff happens. Got to think about how you and I make good decisions when, when things get hot. Got to know who you believe on and know who he is. Have your nose in his word. Have a prayer relationship with God so you can power on. You know, in Psalms 119, 29, Psalms 119 is the prayer of a man of God looking into the word of God is what that's all about. And he says in verse 29, remove me from the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I've chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies or the word of God. Oh, Lord, don't put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O oh Lord, the way of your statutes. Keep me, uh, uh, um, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. That's a wise man. He's saying, don't let me just uh, go the way of my own thinking or something I've seen in life. Let me know your statutes and judgments. Your truth, your laws, and have a stable heart. Another number three on their list of people making bad decisions was uh, uh, they were unstable people. They were indecisive when they should have been able to make a decision. When things got tough, they didn't know what to do. Listen to James 1, verse 7. A man that is double-minded and not certain which way to go. Let that man not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So when the going gets tough, he goes, I don't know if I want to do that. It'd be easier to not pay a price for my faith. It'd be easier to not have to deal with my own character to heal my marriage. It'd be easier for me not to, you know, deal with character on the job than just vacate or be a disciple. It's just hard. You know, the stable man says, God can do this in me if I face the issues. Foolishness does this in the, in the Christian world. Instead of choosing Facts by the word of God, preachers that speak truth, they analyze according to their own indecisive heart. And that's number three cause out of 50,000 leaders, not employees. There's corporations all over the world, big ones. Some of them got, you know, a thousand leaders in, throughout the fabric. 50,000, they said, this is number three problem. People don't know how to make decisions. They're just indecisive. Well, as a Christian, you ought to know what you know. Know who you believe on. Amen. Know where you stand. There we have the reference in the Old Testament to Saul, the first king of Israel. Samuel told him, 
to go and wait at Gilgal. And there's a certain things taking place. He said, I'll meet you there in seven days. I'll offer a sacrifice. Saul is, is nervous. He has people pressures. He, he can't deal with it when others are expecting him to perform and do something. He doesn't know what to do. And he takes things in his own hands and he does something real stupid. And Samuel comes to him. And Samuel, 1 Samuel 13 and verse 11, Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? You know what Saul should have said? I made a bad decision. But he doesn't. He said, well, I saw the people were shaky, scattered from me. And I saw you didn't come the days within the days appointed. But he did. He came at the last minute. And I saw the enemy and I saw everything. I said, you know what? I got to do something. And he made a bad move. Wouldn't wait on God. He wouldn't listen to truth. He didn't focus on obedience. He did. Other things moved him. He's indecisive. He takes stuff into his own hands and makes some bad, bad moves. If you remember the Israelis, they came out of Egypt in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Numbers tells the story so detailed. They came out of Egypt. While they lived in Egypt, they cried out to God to deliver them. By way of bondage, they were so grieved, living as slaves and living in that atmosphere and all they had to deal with, cried out to God. God heard their cry, set them free. They got in the wilderness. Now they were free from Egypt. But if you remember the story, what happened every time they had to make decisions to obey God? Every time they had to make hard decisions. Every time they had to step up, so to speak, man up in life, you know, take the position of a stance and be decisive. What happened, and just about every time for 40 years for a bunch of them is they made bad decisions. And you know what they did? They went back to say, well, it wasn't so bad in Egypt. <laughs> well, you cried out for God's deliverance and you got it. And now it's not so bad there. indecisive. They remain locked in the past. And a lot of people, that's another problem they have. That was number four on the, on the list of these reasons, is they're locked in their past. They've seen something. Well, I don't I remember Egypt. I remember eating some really good onion soup. Leeks. We even got a fish now and then out of the river, and it don't get no better. God's giving them quail and manna, you know, manna and trying to get them in a promised land with milk and honey, and he's not. Nah. We had, I remember that, yeah. They go back to the way it was once. And they are locked in the past. And they have no strategic alignment. That was about midway through those reasons. People just made bad decisions. They weren't really locked into the job. Their heart would go anywhere. Better idea, better atmosphere, better, better plan for me and my family, what I can do. Better, they were up, they were indecisive on very important things because there was always an open door, a cracked door. I could go anywhere and do this. I could do it. That's how these people are in these corporations. That was right mid-range, number five on their list. Problem they have, people making bad decisions. They had no allegiance to their job. You know, many people have no affection for the things of God. Just got saved, got their self saved, going to get the best life they can. Colossians 3.2 says, set your affection on things above. Find out what does God bring down from heaven? What has he got to direct your path and your life? How does he want to do this?
So, well, how do I do this if I've made some wrong moves? You start where you are. Uh, you know, the thing about life is uh, nobody here chose when, where, and how, and to whom to be born to, right? You started where you were, the way life came, dealt you, what God dealt to you, and the starting point was just where you were. Now, you might need your launch point for the rest of your life recalibrated. Perhaps you do. I don't know. I know I did. I really did. I needed God to help me. But you know what? Some people are where they are, and they think, you know, they've, they've done well. They, they, they played the lotto or something, and they got somewhere. And they, but I tell you, most of us are where we are in life because of decisions we've made. We'll say, yeah, yeah, well, if you were born what I was, if you went through this, if you, I know that. That's, that's where you were, and you, that's how it started. But where you go in life has everything to do with what you decide, how you approach it, how you process it. You have zero to say about whom you were born to or where or how lucky you're going to be in life. But you know what? Most of your life is just really it's a product of the sum of the past decision. But you know what? Everywhere you're headed in life, you can determine by faith and obedience to God. You really can. Future is brilliant in Christ. You say, man, I don't know. I got a record of making bad decisions. Welcome to the club. You know, I could have, I don't have time because I'm about done preaching, but, you know, I mean, gosh, you could go to the man we call the father of our faith, Abraham. Boy, did he make a blunder of a decision. Actually, kind of a couple, you know, weren't the best. But you know what? He had a destiny. And he recouped it. He honored God. And here we are today, a product of that blessing of the promise to Abraham. Hallelujah. You can go, that's just going way back in the Bible. You can go on and find one after another after another. I could tell you stories about people who have made the worst of decisions in life, who have recouped their faith, taken the steps to learn how to apply themselves and diligently learn and study at the book of God and the book of life and find their way, and today they're living a life that's beautiful. Amen. This is where you are today. You can start afresh. Let's bow our heads. Let's, uh, let's take time to, to pray together.